Good morning, everyone. A blessed Chinese New Year, and you can turn to people around you and nod and say you've done really well in coming, but you can't really speak through your mask. And so we are gathered here as God's people, as this is being recorded and we put on the podcast for those who are listening to this here in Singapore, where the majority of people are uh, Chinese. We celebrate the Lunar New Year, and that's why we just greeted them as such. Most of the points we'll be making comes up on the PowerPoints. If you want to take notes of that for your own learning, uh, please do so as we listen to God's Word uh, together. So what we want to address today has to do with meetings. Try and get this right. First slide comes on. Let's take a look at this. Why meetings? In brackets, why bother with meetings? And as we try to explore this, why do we meet each other in life, in school, at work, in church, and beyond? Ask yourself as you back away, what's so unique about Christian meetings? Can't we continue to live a life of isolation, a life of splendid isolation, as we've been forced to do now? Uh, what happens when you put things and events together? What happens when people meet? What value add really is there? So today being February 14, let me repeat that. Today is February 14. What happens when you put romance and flowers together on February 14? You have Valentine's Day and a global business. And that's what it is. So for those who haven't greeted each other, happy Valentine's Day, you may want to do so. You, it's things that we do. So what happens when we put people and things together? In politics, what happened when Trump met Kim here in Singapore? And your answer could be nothing. Because at the end of spending those, all that money, is there greater world peace? I think Miss World or Miss Universe would have accomplished more than Trump meeting Kim. In the movies, when Harry met Sally, what happened? They made tons of money too. In real life, when people meet each other and fall in love, it's 50-50 or the stats could be worse, whether they'll be happily married ever after. And then we get a little bit darker and more serious when a 16-year-old Singaporean met Brendan Tarrant on the internet and watched how he masterminded the terrorist attack on two mosques in Christchurch. He dreamt up his own attacks of Muslims here in Singapore. And there was a very dangerous encounter of an echo chamber and today, through the internet, you could meet as many people socially with repercussions in reality. So virtuality has repercussions in reality. And just, was it yesterday? Two days ago. When five men met in the wee hours in the morning and decided to go and turn Tanjung Paga into a racetrack and tragically the driver lost control and they crashed into a shop house and they all died instantaneously. And so you and I need to ask, 
Why can't we live in splendid isolation? Because when we meet, there's a polarity, a spectrum of outcomes. And given our fallen nature and our sinful nature, there is every chance that our meeting, all the way from the intimacy of marriage to the intimacy of family to community, is fraught with self and with danger. And so it's no small thing when we arrive at today's passage in Hebrews chapter 10. And what does it have to say about meetings? And what's so distinctive and what's so special and what's so unique when Christians gather together for what we call Christian, not meetings alone, but for Christian fellowship. And so again, Hebrews 10 verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. It's very important that we understand any passage of Scripture in context. So what I'll try to do is paint the wider picture, then you can understand this more and more in its context, and before we can actually see what it says to us in our hearts, in our homes, in our life. Hebrews 10 is like the lighthouse passage about Christian meetings and Christian fellowship. But to really understand what the writer is saying here, you have to read backwards and get the picture of what they were facing at that time. And so we go forward to the end of the passage and he says this, Remember those earlier days? After they received the light, obviously after they received Christ as their Saviour and the Lord, light into darkness, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And so they were beginning to face roadblocks to their fellowship. In what sense? Read further. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted what? You joyfully accepted not gifts for Chinese New Year, not, not pineapple tarts, not ang paos. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. So, in context, as we understand this, the writer is painting for us here a contrast between their previous and their present behaviour. Between their previous and their present fellowship, or the lack of it in the present. When they first started on their Christian journey, when they first heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, coming to the world to save us from Satan, from sin, and to turn us from enemies of God into children of God, there was such a flourish, there was such a blossoming, such a burst of faith expressed in wanting to meet the frequency of their meeting and the intimacy of their meeting and the authenticity of their meeting. And what was that? They were willing to suffer for Christ, obviously. They were willing to suffer persecution. They were willing to suffer the association with fellow Christians who had been thrown into prison. They were willing to suffer 
many things for Christ. And so it goes on. They suffered loss of their own property. They suffered. Humanly, they lost things. But spiritually, they kept growing in their confidence in God. That was previously, as recorded in Hebrews 10, verse 32 to 35. But now, they had, they had lost, beginning to lose that flourish, that flourish of faith expressed and experienced in love. And faith in Christ Jesus is always expressed and experienced in love for Christ's people. And so, friends, there's a very huge difference. In all likelihood, the audience that was receiving this, the church that the writer was writing to, were Jewish Christians in the book of Hebrews. So instead of them being right with God in hearing the gospel and being, believing in Jesus as their Saviour and Lord, they found themselves wrongly persecuted humanly. Instead of being close to God, they felt further from God. Instead of being safe, they felt abandoned by the Lord Jesus. Instead of being secure, they felt increasingly more insecure in life. Let me just pause at this moment and ask a very important question. Do you know the difference between a felt faith and a fact faith? A felt faith is a faith built at stands on your feelings and experiences. And all our feelings and experiences are subjective, fleeting, passing, partial. A fact faith is not built on your circumstances and your feelings of them, partial and limited. A fact faith is based on Christ, not on your circumstances. So as you arrive here, if you think yourself a Christian, ask yourself, is yours a felt faith based on circumstances, based on your own perceptions and your own conclusions? Or yours is on the solid ground of Jesus redeeming sacrificial love for you. And that's what he's getting to. You feel you're being abandoned. You feel you're being betrayed. You feel insecure. But you are rock solid from God's perspective because you are God's beloved church, purchased than none other than the blood of Jesus Christ. Have you ever any blood on you before? The figurative picture is Jesus' blood washing us clean. And that blood could pronounce us guilty or pronounce us innocent. And there's a saying in English, blood is on your hands. But blood all over us is not to pronounce us guilty, it's to pronounce us innocent and holy and blameless before God. So I ask again before we go on, because it's a very important question, which one is it? For you, and for me, as we journey through COVID-19, and in one sense, why has the handbook not come out? Because it's very simple. We just have to change the year. 2021 is more of the same of 2020. That's all. Actually, we do not know what we should plan. Because if anything COVID-19 has taught us, we can plan, but God can overturn those plans. So live each moment humbly under God 
rock solid on the fact of Christ's love for you and me. So to the Jewish Christians then, he was the name of Jesus increasingly in the house churches was a taboo in Hokkien, a choi choi name. You don't ever mention that name. What name shouldn't you mention in America, which is a lightning rod name, a choi choi name in some circles? It's Trump and will be for a while. What could you not mention in the UK for years? Brexit. And they're still, what could you? You must not mention the name of Jesus in the Christian fellowships because it's for that very name that we are persecuted. It's for that very name that we are wrong. It's for that very name that we are slandered. It's for that very name I have lost my job. I've lost my face. I've lost my place in Jewish community. In that sense, Jesus, my friends, was a very disappointing person to them. He was now a very divisive person. You mention his name, let alone say grace in his name. Can you imagine it? If you walk back into their context and understand, you mention his name by saying grace, it might cost a battle at your dinner table. I remember, this is my little experience of it as a young Christian. I became a Christian in Sydney, Australia, came back home. And my parents found out about it. They were not too pleased, to say the least. And of course, my new habit from my new identity, like all of us who profess to know the Lord Jesus, is to say grace. So I remember bowing my head just to pray for myself, pray for my family. And my dad said to me in Teochew, who gave you this food? He was just being dad because he had borrowed money to send me overseas. And I couldn't tell him that beyond my human dad was a God who gave him the wisdom and the strength and the love and the sacrifice to lose his face so he could support his son. But in their Jewish circles at that time, my friends, it was divisive to this point. And they were about to give up on Jesus and do a U-turn and give up on him. You know why? The context is important. Because Judaism in the Roman Empire was a legal religion. And the term was religio licita. Legal religion. Legit religion. Whereas this new thing that an increasing number of Jews had started to believe that the end of Judaism is Jesus. That all they got promised was a shadow of the reality. Jesus is that reality. Of the law, of their food, of their festivals, of everything that God had spoken, He was the reality. An increasing number that came to believe in this was now religio illicita, which means not legit. Illegal religion, not recognized by Rome and the authorities. And so if believing in a legit religion called Judaism gave me less trouble, why should I stake my life on someone I never met but only heard from gospel preaching that this man came and is God's promised Messiah and he fulfills the priesthood, he fulfills the sacrifice, he fulfills the temple and I'm supposed to believe in an invisible man that I never met, I would rather go back and be comforted and assured by a true priest in a true temple offering true sacrifices 
Why should I stake my life on this man? When it means now my family and me increasingly have troubles every step of the way. So increasingly, what were they suffering? They were suffering a hearing problem. Sorry, a typo there. Increasingly stubborn and closed to hearing God speak about His Son. And why is that so important? Because the epistle of Hebrews begins with, in the past, God spoke to us in various and many ways. He spoke to us through the prophets, but in the last days, He has spoken to us through the final prophet, His Son. And the question being asked is, are you listening to Him? Are you still listening to Him from the heart? Because we keep saying here, or at least I keep saying, that obedience is not a hearing problem. It's a heart problem. And so increasingly their hearts were callous and hardened towards listening to Christ and suffering for Christ. And they needed to ask themselves, are we suffering for Christ or suffering for self? And more of that later. So throughout the letter, the writer will say this. In 5.11, you have become dull. You want to emphasize that to your neighbor? Just turn to your neighbor and say to them, you have become dull. Try that. You can eyeball them. You have become dull from too much cookies, too much bakwa. Then you are comatic. You are here, but you are not here. And then he says in 6.12, so that you do not become sluggish. I understand from the scholars, this is the only time in our entire New Testament that the Greek word translated sluggish is used. You have now become spiritually lazy, what we call a spiritual sluggard. And you and me become spiritually lazy when what happens? You and me become spiritually lazy when this happens. Warning them not to be spiritually lazy, careless, and deadened. Not simply to God's Word. Because if I put a full stop there to God's Word, surely those who believe in Judaism, you telling us that we become lazy, that we become careless, and deadened to listen to God's law? We know the Ten Commandments inside out, do you know? We know the Torah, we know the... We know the the Jewish life, but it's the punchline at the end, the two words. Are you spiritually lazy, careless or deadened to God's final word to you in Jesus? And then you ask yourself, if you put yourself in their position, so tell me again, tell me again, as we suffer all these things for believing in an illegal religion, maybe you guys are illegal preachers. What's so great about Jesus? Can you just play it back for me one more time? What's so great about Jesus? And in one sense, when you and me ask that question in our daily life, and you should ask the question, the moment you open your eyes, you should ask yourself, what's so great about Jesus? And please try to answer that yourself. Because when you ask that question and you answer that, you might be staggered by God. Because the message of Hebrews is this. Jesus is superior. Jesus is better than. This phrase keeps 
appearing again and again, and there are at least two, four, five times, he's superior to the appearances, the revelation brought by the angels. I ask you, if an angel spoke to you, which would you choose to listen to? A mere man like Adrian, a mere man like Chris speak to you, or an angel speak to you? Be honest. If there's a church that says, our church repeatedly every week, an angel speaks to us, there's a theophany every week, would you rather not go to that church? They had angels bring God's revelation of salvation. Jesus is superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses and the law given to Moses. True Moses. He's superior to all the earthly priests that God has given as part of a sacrificial system to make them right with God. Because how can sinners approach a holy God without sacrifices to the holy God? He's superior to Melchizedek, the priest, par excellence. There is none like him. He's superior to all in the hall of faith. So Jesus is God's better revealer and better redeemer. He is that person. That's why He's so great. And you want to give up on Jesus and go back to Judaism? You want to give up on reality and go back to photograph? I've used this a, a zillion times. Right? Before the handphone came along, I carried Mona's picture in my wallet. And everywhere I go, especially when I preach overseas, I would turn it up ever so often, look at her and look at the children's photos when I miss them, and I miss them every day. It would be very strange if I arrive back at Changi Airport and Mona is there to pick me up and I flip up my photo. It would mean she looked better then. She was lighter, prettier. When the reality comes, you don't look at the photograph. You embrace the photograph. They were going backwards to embrace the photograph. And a photocopy, and a very bad photocopy, no matter how glorious the temple was, in Jerusalem, no matter how glorious every synagogue was, wherever they were, you can never match the glories of the earth, of the eternal, heavenly, holy of holies. And so superior to angels, the first warning is given against giving up on Jesus. Superior to Moses, the second warning about losing rest. If you give up Jesus as the second Joshua, you will never enter into God's rest. He's superior to all human priests. Third warning about apostasy. He's superior to Melchizedek. Fourth warning about shrinking back. And I want you to take note of this term, shrinking back. Since you were bold enough in hearing the gospel to approach the holy God, why do you now shrink back from the holy God and His holy temple in heaven? Why do you shrink back to an earthly temple led by a human priest instead of walking forward to the heavenly temple led by your heavenly priest. And the fifth warning, he's the superior founder and perfecter about giving up. And so it's full of teaching and then full of warnings. I pull up just one passage of warning out of the five passages of warning. And what does it say? Can you read this together with me? It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. 
to feel to their loss. They are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Whatever we cannot pick up as the repetition here, I think please be conscious enough and humble enough to pick up who have once, who have once been enlightened, who have once tasted the heavenly gift, who once shared in the Holy Spirit because they be believe in Jesus, you get the Holy Spirit, who once tasted the goodness of the Word of God and belonging not to this, this age of God's wrath, but the coming age. All these were their experiences, the beautiful experiences, the grace experiences of their life in believing in Jesus as their Saviour and their Lord. And they now want to renege on this. They want to go back on this. And friends, there's a huge difference. As Pastor Adrian prayed, as we prayed all over the world, that we are all saddened by the two-timing life of Ravi Zacharias. And there's a very huge difference between what we call a lapse of sin and the perpetuation and continuation of sin. If today you lapse into a moment of anger, anger is sin, but you are confessional and repentant that you shouldn't have been so rude with your husband, so rude to your wife, so short on the fuse with your children, so disrespectful to your parents, so envious of your sibling. It was a lapse. Today you had an envy moment. Today you had a disrespectful moment. But you repent and you ask God, give me more anger-free days. Give me more envy-free lives. Give me more lust-free days. But the continuation and perpetuation of sin, especially under the cover, that they are doing this in ministry, for ministry, will bring a very huge question mark. Far be it for us to say the final word. But there is a warning word from the life of one such as Ravi. And he will not be the first. And he will not be the last. And just in case you turn all your attention now to leaders, which you must, don't forget to turn the attention to yourself and your own failure for the continuation and perpetuation of sin of any kind. And why the impossible word? That the perpetuation and continuation of sin, impossible to bring back to repentance. It doesn't speak about God's inability to give repentance, but God's refusal to save us once you have done a U-turn on Jesus. And you and me do a U-turn on Jesus. You can be orthodox in terms of doctrine. You could be faithful in terms of doctrine, but totally unorthodox in terms of life. And boy, if we haven't taught you anything over the last 31 years we've been here, is never drive the wedge between belief and behaviour. Because at the heart of this, why we have gone back to basics and back to Jesus, is that you and me don't just proclaim a new identity, but new habits of thinking, of speaking, of living, of doing, that glorifies God. Not just simply, I believe in this, I believe in that 
God, I'm becoming more like Jesus. So I ask of myself and ask of you, you're doing a U-turn? And you think that U-turn nobody can see in your heart? You are full, and I'll be a fool for doing that. Please take note, it's not God's inability to do this, God's refusal to do this, because God has spent and bankrupted heaven to save you and me from Satan and sin. To ask God for something or someone besides Jesus and the cross as to ask God for the impossible. You asking God for the impossible? Don't do that, friends. And that's why five teaching session, sections and five warning passages. And it's no coincidence that in the sovereignty of God and supremacy of Jesus, that we are applying through this, we are going through this deeply and honestly here in the RPC as we arrive at Hebrews chapter 10. So with that backdrop, we can understand this better. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to do what? Confidence to enter the most holy place. How? Not by your ministry, not by your works, not because you're born in a Christian family, not because you are reverend, not because you are a church leader, you are a pastor, you are an elder, you are a deacon, you are a DG leader, not because you sing in the choir, not because you play in the band, but because of the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, has opened up for us through the curtain, the curtain of His body. That is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. How? With a sincere heart, with full assurance, not half assurance, that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. So, the first part of chapter 10 is what Christ has done for us. What Christ has done for us. Never wake each day, never walk each day, never live each day, and never sleep each day without remembering afresh what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. If you live each day with increasing forgetfulness, amnesia and dementia of who Jesus is and what He's done for you, His body is the curtain giving you confidence to enter into God's holy presence. It is His sacrifice alone. He brought God's final revelation. He brought God's final and full redemption. There is no one else that God can send. So in the light of what Jesus has done for us, these are the three things that we must do in Hebrews 10. Let us draw near to God and draw near to God with confidence entry into His very presence, into His kingdom forever and ever. Let us hold fast the confession. It's not simply a confident entry, but a confident hope because you are taking up God's promise. Every other promise we make, beginning with the vows that couple make to love each other for better, for worse, usually for worse. 
are not promises we can keep in our sinful hearts. And let us consider how to stir and spur each other on to love and to good deeds from that confident entry into God's presence based on the confident promise of God. We now have the confidence to live that though we are once sinners, we are washed clean. So in the words of Louis Kalenbrick who came for our church camp, true Christian fellowship, how do we arrive for Christian fellowship? How, how did you arrive this morning? So for some of you, you were dragged here by your parents. You were reluctant. For some of you, you were dragged here by your spouse or your girlfriend or boyfriend. No choice. Want to marry her. We arrive here broken. We depart from here full. You arrive here broken from your sinfulness. You depart here fully assured as you hear the gospel and accept once again humbly Jesus as your Saviour, Lord. And in Hebrews, His main work, His great high priest. That the great high priest is always interceding for you. That you and me are forgiven of every sin of thought and word and deed in life. And without the high priestly work of Jesus, after the finished work of the cross, you and me can never meet for honest Christian fellowship. Because you and I will arrive as hypocrites. You'll be doing a small-scale Rabbi Zacharias. And all of us will be doing that if we only had the finished work of Jesus on the cross. But no continuing work of Jesus as great high priest then this meeting is a hypocritical meeting. But this meeting is not hypocritical because his finished work carries on with his eternal work of being great high priest for us while he gathers the church for eternal fellowship with him. So let us, let us, let us, let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider how we can stir each other up to love and good deeds. And so what does this mean? What does this mean? To really understand this, you have to fast forward to the end of the letter. But the end of the letter, he tells you, let brotherly love continue. If I say to you, okay, married couple here, married couple there, married couple there, let, let your love continue, let marital love continue. What might that mean? Let family love continue. Don't let this Chao family break down. Don't let this Munoz family break down. Don't let this Lim family break down. That means at this moment, you are very tempted to a marital breakdown, a breakdown of marital love. You are very tempted to a breakdown of familial love. At this moment, they are very tempted to a breakdown of church love. Whatever you do not know about the church, there is no such thing as the loveless church. There is no such thing as the loveless Christian. There is no such thing as the loveless follower and believer of Jesus. If you and me think that we are rising in the Christian life and growing in ministry, but increasingly loveless, you and me are an empty gong. So says Chris, no, so says Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 13. The purple passage of 1 Corinthians. 16 chapters of gifts, 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 and ministry, ministry, zero love. And Paul says, gifts, 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 ministry, 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 zero love means you are zero. It's very simple divine mathematics. 
is very simple divine aromatics. Anything done without love makes you a zero, makes me a zero. So what do you think I pray for every day? I pray only for us a few repeated things. Lord, please grant me love for you, love for your son and love for your people. Because left to myself, I have no such love. Grant me wisdom for every situation. For without you, I have no wisdom. And grant me courage every day to do the things that you tell me to do in your word. Because I'm so fearful. So fearful. Is that me alone? That should be you also together with me. Asking for love. And to put that love into practice in wisdom in every relationship. And to be courageous to carry on loving because everything within Satan, from Satan testing our sinful nature is to be unloving. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those in prison that as though in prison with them, those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body, in the same body of Christ, so what's he saying as we go backwards? 10.24, let us consider how to spur each other to love and good deeds. Keep thinking, keep thinking, God's people, how to meet with each other. But most times left to Satan working our sinful nature, you'll think of as many reasons not to meet each other, especially now with COVID-19. And as you gather to meet each other, keep listening to what? To God's final word, in Jesus, to Jesus speaking the gospel to you, to your heart, to your home, to your decisions, to your actions, to your circumstances, to your feelings. Are you now indulging your perceptions and your conclusions? Are you now a, a feeling faith person? And as you gather to meet and listen to the gospel word in Christ, please, at the heart of this gospel word is love God and love each other. By this shall all men know ye are my disciples. Oh, that sounds, sounds familiar. That was our opening passage. Just in case you've forgotten, it was Jesus' parting words before he was betrayed by Judas at the last Passover. Because just John 13, before Judas goes out and betrays him to the cross. And so let's keep meeting. You know what the, the term is? Keep thinking, keep thinking. Right? So you're teaching a child something. You can't solve this chemistry problem. Keep thinking, keep thinking. You'll find it. This aromatic problem, keep thinking. Or physics, for me, it never worked because I was non-science. I could keep thinking, but nothing came up. But I was a humanities person. And the moment they taught me literature at A-levels, while I was studying in Australia, boy, I couldn't stop thinking that this is good stuff. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, you keep thinking God's Word. And when you think God's Word, you think God's Son. When you think God's Son, you think how, how honoured and privileged it is to belong to Him and to belong to each other. How can we not meet in reverence, in reverent worship? How can I not love you? How can you not love me in return? How can we not do good works? How can we not encourage one another? So keep thinking being creative about it. Through 2,000 years of church history, whenever Christians were persecuted, and I want to say to us here in Singapore, 
you may have micro experiences of persecution. Boys brigade boy may be prevented from coming to church. Some of you prevented from believing because of your husband, your wife, your parents. Yes, there's persecution in your micro-personal life. But persecution from the Roman Empire to communist rule that killed tens of thousands and millions of Christians, you know what? They arrested them, put them in prison. When the Japanese marched in, all Christians and all pastors, all missionaries were in Changi prison. Go to Changi Chapel. Prevented them from meeting their churches. That's when the local leadership rose up because every pastor here was a foreigner in the 1940s. When you are persecuted, you're dying to meet because you're starving from the lack of Christian fellowship. Starving. Many of us now, Christians around the world, in first world countries like America, first world countries like Singapore, we will give ourselves every excuse not to meet. So we always crack the joke, right? At ARPC at Adam, our greatest persecution every week is that walk from Arcadia to Adam Road, which you don't face here in Bishan. And then in ARPC Tengah, it'll be better because we've got car parks. And still, you might not make it on time. We'll find every excuse not to meet. Let me just say something in smaller application. Did you notice something about our meetings? Did you notice, pastors, the, the elders and deacons? That in the first few meetings that we started, on-site meetings, most people arrive before time, on time. But now, people are arriving later and later. Have I spoken to your heart? Do you like me? Why so late? Chinese New Year, Chinese New Year, okay. Right? Overslept, overslept. Played mahjong, played mahjong. Entertained too much. Yes, okay. But beyond this week, can you arise just slightly earlier, like half an hour earlier? Just 20 minutes earlier so that safe distancing can be done. You find your seats. You can't talk to people, but you can eyeball them with love. Can you see the love in my eyes? I've been practicing in front of the mirror for years. You must be dying to meet, not dying not to meet. And when you gather here, there must be an appreciation. Who's the person sitting on my left? Who's the person sitting on my right? Who's the person sitting beside me? You don't come here and worship in splendid isolation. Splendid isolation is was my previous life when I walked in and out of in and out of religious institutions without acknowledging anybody. It was a temple after temple in Malaysia, in out by my own joysticks, in out by my own holy all. Who cares whether I was there? That is man-made religion. God-given salvation is you enter here and the 100 people here, the 120 people here, you treasure bumping into them. You love seeing them. And just bump into one. I haven't seen you for almost a year, Pastor Chris. I haven't seen you for a year. Do you have that affection? And then he will go on chapter 13 about this love and good deeds. Let marriage be held in honour among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so when you trace 
his exhortation to stir each other up to love and good deeds, it runs all the way from chapter 10 to chapter 13. And how might we understand this? In verse 17, it says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account to God. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that will be of no advantage to you. So you draw it together. What does it mean to stir each other on to loving good deeds? By the time you arrive from chapter 10 to 13, it's being hospitable in hostility, increasingly hostile to Christians. And if you open up your home, there is possible risk and danger to you. Being faithful in marriage, in a world that has normalised unfaithfulness. Oh, another affair? Oh, yeah, meeting another woman? Oh, meeting another man? It happens lah. Being contented with money, even though you have lost, and increasing numbers of them have lost jobs, businesses, property. Have you lost your HDB flat? Are you about to lose it? Let's say unthinkably 50 years from now, 30 years from now, a very anti-Christian government comes into place. Might you lose your abode because you believe in Jesus? Friends, it happens in the neighbourhoods around us, the neighbouring countries around us. Simply because you name Jesus as your Saviour and Lord, they might burn down your church building. They might come a little closer than burning down your church building. They might burn down your house. Because the whole village knows that you believe in Jesus and you have turned from our community faith that we have practiced so long in our village, so long in our town, so long in our province and being obedient to your God-given leaders. And so friends, loving good deeds, hospitality, shrinking faith, growing fear. Why should I take the risk to open up my home? Marriage, Shrinking purity, growing compromise. And I say to you, all sexual sin is a matter of small compromises. All big sin is a matter of small compromises. Because now we keep thinking Ravi Zacharias, but he's not the only man who has fallen to this. You compromise with what your eyes look at today, it won't be long before you live out your eyesight. You become your eyes. You will live out the repercussions of your optics. Money, a shrinking love for God, a growing love for money. And leaders, a shrinking love for leaders. Because what they say to you and what they preach to you stands in the way of you and me. So where are we in love and good deeds? Admittedly, honestly, None of these things, and this is representative of them, is exhaustive. You know how hard to open up your home where there could be possible danger? And so I've used this. When we first started in the 1990s, we said, are you excited the ARPC then was now going into drug rehabilitation work? Yes, we're excited. And as we do this drug rehabilitation work, right, some of them are going to be converted and after they finish their program in a drug rehab place, they're going to come to our church. As they come to our church, a few things may happen. This man with a drug background might fall in love with the sisters in Christ in the RPC. Can? 
A few can. Yeah. Here, very silent. Uh, ask after the service. Okay. Then, as they come, they have to join small groups, which we now call discipleship groups. So who will open up their homes? And they turn to me, Pastor Chris, you lah. Because the church was smaller at the time, yeah, and we did. Open up our home. Right? There is, there's risk. Is there risk now in being hospitable to the guest workers in our midst? Yeah. Because they had 40,000 infected at one time, or 50,000 infected. But by God's grace, we step out and risk it. And by God's grace, we discovered in hindsight we were the only church invited by the authorities to do what? To host them to nine Christmas gatherings. No other church was given that privilege. Because they saw how we did things out of love because we took them firstly to outings at parks. And parks and public places are not open to them. Let alone allow them to come. Slowly, step by step, was there a possibility of infection? Yeah. Did the MOM officers come for every gathering? Yes. Did they watch us? Did they tell us to save distance? We did. There is always risk. And that's why I decided as a senior pastor, I must show you this risk. Not for me to say, my goodness, you go out and do this, guest workers. And so yes, if you see Pastor Jeff and Pastor Roger or Pastor Chris dancing away, not because we like to dance, but because we are trying to incarnate and enter their world. There's always a risk in gospel work and being hospitable to outsiders and to each other. There's always a risk in staying in a marriage. You want me to stay in this loveless marriage, Chris? I just want to hear your opinion on this. Do you want me to stay in this loveless marriage? Can you tell me whether I should stay or go? I can't tell you whether to stay or go. But I can tell you, God tells you to stay. I sympathize with your sadness. I do. I do. And we've been through a lot from inside and outside of church. But I can't say, please leave. Until and unless there's adultery, there's abandonment. Or, not so clearly in Scripture, those two are clear in Scripture, there may be abuse and your life is endangered. But it doesn't mean once there has been adultery or abandonment, it's your ticket to divorce. You can pray for endurance. Let us. Let brotherly love continue. Let marital love continue under the banner of Jesus. And so, you know how hard it is to continue? Very easy to start. Very hard to continue. Impossible to finish well. Let me correct myself. Impossible to start apart from the grace of God. Impossible to continue apart from the grace of God. That's what we've been learning, right? God demonstrates His own love for us in this. Romans 5, Ephesians 2. But the grace of God, the grace of God that's brought salvation has appeared to all men. By the grace of God, what is impossible is now made possible through Christ. The shrinking love for God, the growing love for money, Will I give up on Jesus because I've lost earthly things? 
or will I gain Jesus and lose earthly things? And some of you could have lost over the last year. It's okay. Money can be made up. If we can't be made up, we will stand alongside with you as we have launched the ERF, the Essential Relief Fund. And by God's grace, our giving didn't suffer last year, but remains steady, as we will tell you soon. And shrinking love for leaders, why? If leaders tell you something and they stand in the way, shrinking faith and shrinking love is always failure to listen to Jesus speak the objective gospel into your heart about our subjective perceptions and circumstances. Please take note of that, friends. When you start to shrink back in faith and shrink back in love, the two things are tied in together. You can never decouple a shrinking faith, a shrinking love for Jesus and shrinking love for His church. It's failure to listen to Jesus above your own perceptions, limited and flawed, above your circumstances, which are temporal and fleeting and passing. You came to the wrong conclusion that Jesus is dead in China as the communists marched in. You came to the wrong conclusion in Russia that Jesus is dead as Stalin and all jail every Christian and kill every Christian they could find. That's a wrong conclusion. It's failure to listen to Jesus. So Hebrews 10.25 says, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So let me ask you, it's about habits, right? Don't get into the habit of this. Never get used to what habits. You must never get used to spiritual laziness. Today, I don't need to listen to the name of Jesus. If today you don't think the name of Jesus, but you think of every other person's name, and the other person's name is bigger than Jesus, from your persecutor to your unhappy marriage, to, to your boss, to your Christian leaders, then Jesus is a smaller name. Don't become spiritually lazy with Him and His supremacy and His sovereignty and His redeeming love of your circumstances and never get used to missing authentic, genuine, bona fide Christian meetings and fellowship. As you see the day approaching, you know, you're not just born, grow up, grow old, die. There is a day, the second coming of Jesus Every day you and I live is one day closer to the glorious return of Jesus to save us for unending fellowship with Him. Amen? So never, you can dismiss Christian fellowship, but you cannot dismiss Christ's second coming. And friends, there's a very tight relationship. The moment you start dismissing Christian fellowship, you are missing this. The Lord will judge His people. You thought the Lord will judge the world. The Lord will judge His people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The gravity, the seriousness of not meeting up with God's people and not meeting up with God's people with the right attitude of prayerfulness, of anticipation, of walking in and walking out walking in, broken, walking out, filled as the people of God hearing the glorious gospel.
to give up meeting with Jesus' people initially. You can miss one DG meeting. You can miss one basic meeting. And even if the basic meeting or children's church meeting is held, you're on, it's Zoom, but I'm turned off, the video is off. Can I encourage you not to do that? Because you hardly see each other already, what? So if you're dying to see each other, how much weight you put on, how much weight you lost, put the camera on uh, so that you're not dozing off. So that you're not digging your ears and digging your nose and doing whatever. In, in real life fellowship, can you do that? Can you turn yourself off or turn somebody else off? It's very, very unkind. In real life, you don't just say, at this moment, I don't like what you're saying, so I'm going to turn you off. I'm going to turn myself off. No, friends. To give up meeting with Jesus' people initially is to give up meeting with Jesus finally. His body is one with the head. You never decouple the body from the head. So I ask, is that you? Our new identity in Christ must give birth to new habits. That's why this whole series, and this is the second in the series, we are asking for the new habits of meditating on Scripture. Romans 5, verse 8 to 9. Ephesians 2, verse 8 to 9. Titus 2, verse 11 to 13. Right? And it just keeps going. 2 Timothy verse, uh, 3, verse 16 to 17. Prayer, Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Now, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. You think you can manage seven verses? One verse each day to keep you away from Satan and sin? Do you think you can manage seven memory verses? Seven bare memory verses to fight Satan to keep you away from sin. You don't rise as high as your goals. You rise as high as your habits. So we are God's one another people. Make it a habit to love one another. Pray the habit to serve one another. Make it a habit to pray for one another. Make it a habit to encourage one another. Make it a habit to forgive one another. Make it your life's duty and your joy and your delight to reconcile with one another. Make it your habit to be devoted to each other. My Bible reading for this morning, Romans 12 verse 10, that you also read in your Bible study. So which ones of these things are you doing? Which one of these things are you repeating? Which one of these things is now your first habit? Your first nature, not your second nature. Your second nature is your old nature. But which one of this could you be failing? Failing to love? Failing to serve? Failing to pray? Failing to forgive? Failing to encourage? And so we've got three meetings that we have to go to. This big group meeting we call a service. We just had a men's conference. All the men who attended, Praise God. All the men who didn't attend, we will find you. And we say that with seriousness, out of love. Because we don't just want a hundred men to get right and pure in their lives, not in the wake of Ravi, but in the wake of Satan and sin. But when we save men, friends, big group gathering, small group gospeling, meet, and one-to-one -one personally. This must become the non-negotiable meetings of our life. And when we meet in all these three settings, Jesus must be the same, must be the main conversation piece. If you find yourself meeting, you're talking, let's go for 
all the time about Ravi. Please watch, don't cross the line. He sinned, yes. But there's a saviour bigger than him. Ten years ago, we all talked about Kong Hee. Then it's now Ravi. But I will highly encourage you to talk about Jesus, who cancels our sin. Amen? About Him more than sinners. The Saviour more than sinners. So are you meeting the right people? Are you meeting to listen to Jesus? Or just meeting to listen to each other's grouses and grumbling against each other? Are you meeting to love each other more? Are you meeting to carry on with marital love and familial love? Are you meeting to overcome lust with love? Are you meeting to be more submissive to your leaders? Are you meeting? Are you growing in being hospitable, faithful in marriage, in sexual purity? Are you meeting to be more contented with money? Are you meeting to be more obedient to your God-given leaders? That's why our meetings are so different. Absolutely different. So I do not know what messages you've gotten. By the grace of God, Chinese New Year, Christmas, wonderful times to exchange gifts. Because I said a few years ago that I love pineapple tarts. And so every New Year, I get an overdose of pineapple tarts. Keep them coming. If there was a weakness, that's one weakness. I could sit there typing a sermon and I could have a whole can or container of pineapple tarts, four, five layers, six layers, and if I don't watch it over two hours, I could finish it. I could. I just, mm, tea, mm, tea, mm, tea. Sweet, not sweet. Sweet, not sweet. <laughs> so keep it coming. I do share it with my wife once in a while. I do share it with my children. Sometimes I get to the pastors, sometimes. <laughs> but it's not the tarts I appreciate. are the messages. Thank you for being part of our life. Thank you for preaching the gospel. Thank you for saying the hard word to us about my discontentment. Thank you for saying the hard word about my marriage. Thank you. The tarts I finish, the cards I keep. Because they remind us how good this is. Then this is a small glimpse of heaven. Amen? So keep coming, friends. Keep meeting. Virtually and reality. And by the time this COVID goes away, may we meet each other, 2,000 of us or more. May the Lord add to us our numbers. And may I be given the right to give you a holy hug. Can I? And if I want to, a holy kiss. Oh! The Bible says greet each other with a holy kiss. I miss you so much. I miss you so much. We sometimes walk into a funeral for a wake and funeral themselves. For the wake, maybe late in arriving. But somebody's lost their father, their mother, their son, as a parent, has lost Jethro Poir. And we are both speechless. The church member and myself is speechless. And all we can do is, it's okay. It's all right. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. There is resurrection after death. Amen? That's how we live. That's how we die. And that's how we will rise to eternal life. Let's stand, pray together.
Oh Lord Jesus, you laid down your life for us. Your blood was shed for us. How can we ever think of shrinking back? Move us away from feeling faith to fact faith. That no matter what our perceptions, no matter what our circumstances, we will never trust the fleeting, fleeting things we go through, but trust in you and your love poured out on the cross for us. So let us not consider why we should not meet, because our circumstances are difficult, because we don't feel that they are with us or for us. But let us consider how and why we should meet, to spur each other on to love and good deeds, and carry on with love, brotherly love, sisterly love, that brotherly love and sisterly love, that divine love, that must be carried on in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in our church, with each other, with our leaders. And in all of this, treasure afresh the wonder and the beauty of Christian fellowship, giving us a glimpse of pure, holy fellowship with you and with your people forever and ever. In the name of Jesus, we pray that you will keep us. Amen.